Good morning. Good morning, brother. So good to see each of you, and I hope that uh, all of you stayed as dry as you could this morning, and appreciate you coming and being with us, and thank you, Will, for doing such a, a wonderful job this morning, and nice tie. I need to get one of those. I don't know if I'd know how to tie one, though, uh, but it's good to see everyone, and we do have a lot of things happening uh, here, and uh, we have our pancake breakfast May 2nd, so I want to invite everyone to that, and uh, so that'll be a, a good day together, and it's good to see family together, and, and the Freemans have family here today, and it's good to see them together, and it's good to see all of you, and uh, it's just wonderful to come together and encourage one another and worship God. And really, that's going to be the discussion for today, is worship. And our text is from 1 Kings chapter 12, 25 and following. But before we get into the text, I want us to think about how sometimes things aren't always as they seem to be. That sometimes... There's a face on something, and it appears to us as if that's the truth, but it's not. I'm reminded of a story of a preeminent scientist, a physicist, and he was making the rounds on the speaker's circuit, and he really wanted to, to leave the speaking circuit and he wanted to get back to his laboratory because that's where a scientist belongs. He really didn't enjoy speaking. And he just really desired, and he kept having to give these speeches all around the United States and he was growing tired of the same chicken dinner and having to give the same speech over and over again. And he was just growing tired and he told his chauffeur about it. And the chauffeur was like, well... I got an idea. I have heard your speech so many times that actually if you will let me give the speech, and we actually kind of look alike, then I'll give the speech for you, boss. And so uh, the, the scientist was overjoyed. He's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so he put on the chauffeur cap, the chauffeur suit, and he sat in the very back of the audience and listened to his chauffeur give this great speech. And I mean, he didn't miss a beat. He pronounced all those 50-cent words perfectly. And I mean, it was just almost better than that scientist could ever do. And, and then finally, it got to the question and answer part. And he, he was able to answer a few of them. But then there was this one pretentious, pompous professor who got up and he asked this this question that no one really knows the answer to about antimatter formation. And so the chauffeur was, he looked at him and he said, you know what, professor, that's such an easy answer. I'm going to let my chauffeur answer it for me. <laughs> Things aren't always as they appear to be. But let me tell you, there is a God there is a God who is powerful, omniscient, and loving. And in fact, it says in Psalms 19, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, 
And it says in Psalms that, that the heavens declare the glory of God. There is a God who is powerful and loving. He's transcendent. He is above all. He is beyond all, even though He is near to all. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There is a God who is living and He is also a God of love. Not only is He of immense power, immense knowledge, but He actually loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And God has revealed Himself. God has revealed Himself. This great, powerful God has revealed Himself to humanity. And He has revealed Himself not in just one way. He's revealed Himself in many ways. He's revealed Himself through His creation. Think about when you observe the earth in which we live in. The planet, the beauty of creation. And you see the wonder. You're inspired by the awe and beauty. And you say, there is a God. It says that His invisible attributes are clearly seen through nature. So God expresses Himself through His creation and for what He's made. We know that God has not left Himself without a witness in creation. When we think about the universe and how finely tuned it is for human life, and not just for human life, for it to exist at all, it's a, it's a razor edge. And when mathematicians do the numbers on is it likely for this universe to be here, the numbers are so astronomical we can't even begin to fathom them with the human mind. Not only has He, he revealed Himself through creation naturally, He's also created us with reason. It's reasonable to believe in God. Think about it. There has to be a cause to all of this. The universe began to exist. Therefore, it has a cause that's outside of itself. So God reveals Himself through our mind, through our thinking, through our reason. It's reasonable to deduce that there is a Creator. He's also revealed Himself through our human experience. There's things in our life that are so wonderful, so beautiful, so perfect. Think about the experience of having a child, doesn't that point you to the divine? Think about your experience with love, with justice, with truth, with morality. Things that we encounter every day that point us to God. He's revealed Himself through history. He's revealed Himself through Scripture. He reveals Himself through Christ in a personal way. And He also reveals Himself through our worship to Him in a spiritual sense. When we come to worship God, God reveals Himself to us. But the thing is, things aren't always as they seem. You see, in this world, sometimes the world and sometimes ourselves we craft things instead of God to take His place. And they're called idols. 
They are imposters to who God is. And instead of God being in the place that he should be in our life, we have something else instead of God in his place. It's something that's counterfeit to God. And if we worship God, we need the true living God in that place and not something else. You know, I read an article yesterday about Amazon. And the wonderful thing about Amazon is that it has offered small businesses a worldwide distribution for their goods. And it's, it's even the playing field for so many businesses, and it's a wonderful thing. But as a result of it, there's also been the proliferation of counterfeit goods. That you have a lot of knockoffs, what we call knockoffs, right? Things that look like they are the name brand, but they're really not. So think about what that does to a small company that's just barely getting by, and then someone knocks off their materials and they sell it on Amazon and people buy it, and instead of buying the good that belongs to them, the true good, they're buying the counterfeit, the imposter. And so it's done a lot of damage to, to good companies that are small because they're imposters, there's knockoffs. And just like there's knockoff products, there's knockoff gods in this world. They're counterfeit. They're not real. They're imposters. They're not the real deal. But yet we find ourselves so many times on our knees for some reason. I'm reminded of the song of Bob Dylan who wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but he says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with long string of pearls, but you have to serve somebody. Might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your command. Women in a cage. You might be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. You may be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion. You might live in a dome. You might own guns. And you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve someone. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. No matter what, in this life, we are worshiping and serving somebody or something. We are. And we have to be sure that who occupies the throne in our heart is the true and living God, or otherwise, our lives will suffer as a result. And that's where we get to the story of Jeroboam. And you might say, well, how does this all affect Jeroboam? Because Jeroboam was this industrious man. He was a natural leader. Solomon recognized him and put him in charge of things, it says in 1 Kings 11. And God's prophet came to Jeroboam and said, look, you're going to be king. I'm going to give you ten tribes of the people of Israel and you're going to rule over them. 
And the reason why I'm giving you this kingdom, the reason why I'm making you king is because Solomon has worshipped idols. He's worshipped all the, the strange gods out there. He hasn't been serving me, so I'm going to give you the kingdom. And it happens that Solomon dies, and then another king by the name of Rehoboam is appointed And Rehoboam doesn't take the advice of the elders and he levies this heavy tax on the people. And guess what the people do? They run to Jeroboam and he becomes king and the prophecies fulfilled. And what's the first thing that Jeroboam does in 1 Kings 12 is that he sees that if he doesn't change what people are worshiping, that he's going to lose control He's going to lose power. And so what he does is, he says, he recognizes it. He says, if the people go back to Jerusalem, if they go to the temple and they worship the true and living God, I'm going to lose control over them. I'm going to lose my power. So as a result, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to create a golden calf and I'm going to put it before the people and I'm going to say, here is God who delivered you from Egypt. And guess what? People bought into it. People bought into His worship. The first thing that we can learn from this is that number one, we have an innate desire to worship. We worship something or someone no matter who we are. It's fundamental. It's basic to who we are. And so there is an option in our lives to to what we do. We can either worship the true and living God or we can worship an imposter. Something that is inferior. Something that is powerless over our condition and our lives. Think about it. If you look at the first commandment in the Ten Commandments, what does it say? It says in Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall serve no no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. The first commandment is what? To worship God and none other. And that is the foundation for the rest of the Ten Commandments. That's the foundation to the law. All of the law is built on the foundation of who God is because He alone is good. And it's built on that foundation. And when you take God out of the place of your life where He needs to be, then everything else suffers because you remove what is truly sacred from your life. You can't have something sacred unless God is there. And when you remove God from your life, then all of a sudden, your rest and your leisure is not sacred anymore. All of a sudden, your home is no longer sacred anymore. Your marriage is no longer sacred anymore. Your life, there's nothing sacred anymore because God's not there. The right to property or even the truth, all of these things are sacred or rights based on on God's existence and on on us worshiping God for who He is. It says it like this in Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. 
when something or someone occupies the place of God in our life, we've removed all that's sacred. And all of those boundaries that are healthy and that are good for us are out the window. Cecil B. DeMille, who made the movie The Ten Commandments, said something very profound. I want you to hear it. He said this, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. You've heard people say that, right? I broke all the Ten Commandments last weekend. But he says this, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them. Because at the end of the day, tomorrow, it's still going to say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Tomorrow, it's still going to say, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet. It's still going to say the same things. And and the life that suffers isn't the law or isn't God, it's us. We break ourselves against the law of God when we disobey Him. And it begins with who He is in our life. If God is who He is in my life, if He's first then all of those other commandments follow. He went on to say, by keeping them, the commandments, we rise through them to the fullness of freedom under God. God means us to be free with divine daring. He gave us the power of choice. What we learn is, is that we have this desire to worship. Number two is that there are idols in this world. And you know why? Because of me. Because of you. That's why there's idols. That's why there's other things in God's place. Because we have made them. We've created them by what we adore, by what we love. Calvin said it like this. The human heart is a factory of idols. When God is not in His place, we are creating idols all over the place. The Bible says, little children, keep yourself from idols. It says that actually covetousness is idolatry. And what what is the alert? Why are we so attracted to, to idols? And here's the reason why. Number one, they're tangible. We can see them. They're right in front of us. And so we, we're attracted to the idol because we can see it. We also are attracted to it because it's immediate. And a lot of times the idol, just like that calf of gold, it looks good. And we trade God for an imposter, something that's powerless, something that's impotent. In our modern lives, what finds itself as an idol? Number one, we have three options. The self, something, or someone. Sometimes we deify ourselves. I don't care what God's Word says, I'm going to do it my way. And when we do that, we deify the self. We put ourselves over God. We do it through our pride. We do it through success. We do it through power. We even do it with failure. Some people put their failures in the center of their life and they worship it. Because that's what controls them. What you worship is what controls you. What controls you is what you worship. Even insecurity, even fear can be an idol in God's place. It robs us of our joy. Something. 
Here's another choice. We can put money. We can put possessions. We can put sex. We can put alcohol. We can put drugs. We can even put the state as our God. How many of you want that? But in the absence of God, the state becomes that for some people. Or someone. We can put someone in the place of God as well. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a lover. It could be someone. It could be a boss. And when we put people in God's place, then every relationship fails as a result. But what happens in the story is that the idols are destroyed. The idols are destroyed. In in chapter 13 and verses 5, it says, The altar also was split apart when the man of God came, and ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The idol was powerless. The altar was destroyed. And guess what? That is the fate of all idols. That they will be destroyed. And if we're not careful, our lives will be a part of that destruction. We have the blessing of worship. It is a blessing to get to come together and worship God. It says in John 4 that God is seeking true worshipers to worship Him and we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so when we worship God, it is concerned with the internal part of us, our heart, our mind, our thoughts, and also the external, how we do it and what we're doing. And so we want that to conform to what God has called us to do. Worship is so powerful. That's why the Hebrew writer says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, which is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another as the day approaches. It's a blessing to get to come together. And worship does mighty things in our lives. Number one, it awakens us to powerful truths. When you hear the preaching of God's Word, when you sing hymns, when you hear the prayers of the saints, when you get to take communion, when you examine the blessings through collection that God has given you, you're awakened to truth. Number two, the assurance of salvation. When you come to worship God, you're assured in your beliefs and in what you are going. Also, growth and unity. When we come together to worship God, we are given these wonderful blessings. So in conclusion this morning, number one, there is a God who is living. A true God who loves us. And the last thing that you want to do is put something or someone or yourself in His place. But God gives us a choice. And that's what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14. They're given the choice. He says, choose whom you will serve this day, whether it be those gods of your ancestors or the true and living God. That song concludes with a little bit of a a poke at a preacher. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. You may be somebody's heir. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You might like to wear cotton. You might like to wear silk. Might like to drink whiskey. Might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. 
You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You can call me Terry. You can call me Jimmy. You can call me Bobby. You can call me Zimmy. You can call me RJ. You can call me Ray. You may call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Who will you serve today? The Bible says to begin to serve the Lord is such a blessing that it begins in faith. The opposite of sin is not virtue, it's faith. That's where it begins. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And because of that faith, we begin to turn from that sin that destroys us. We trade in those lifeless, useless, impotent idols for the true God who can change things. That's who you want in your life. And we confess Him to be who He is, the Son of God, and we're baptized into His body, the church. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've let the distractions, the idols of this world uh, come into your life. Put God where He belongs. If you have any need this morning, we're going to sing this next song, the song that you marked. So if you have any desire, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.